And praise the Lord. Amen. All right, turn if you would. We're going to continue our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll pick up in chapter 7. Those of you who are familiar with this chapter, you're familiar with the word, you know that this, this entire chapter, for the most part, deals with marriage. There, there's all the different issues that we're going to deal with here. I, I can imagine there's parts of this chapter that some would just, uh, just bounce over because um, there's things that are difficult to communicate in a congregational setting. Uh, and I'll... I'll, I'll, I'll share some things on that in just a moment. But uh, so for the next few weeks, we're going to kind of have a mini series within our series on First Corinthians. So the next few weeks, we're going to talk about marriage and, and, and a lot of different views. And so we'll get started this morning. We'll look at the first six verses. We'll work, work through theirs, those in, in, as we go. Uh, but I want to give a little advice as we're starting with marriage. I want to give a little advice to the guys in the, in the congregation here. Um, do you want to know how to always have the last word with your wife? And still live in peace. Would you like to know that? Because here's what I know. Most men, uh, well, most women too, I think, we want to have the last word. And you, well, that was great, but man, I know you are, but what am I? I know you are, but what am I? You know, that kind of thing. We want to have the last word. Well, guys, here's what you do. Here's, there's three little words, and if you'll use these words, you can always get the last word, and you can keep peace in your home. And those words are, honey, you're right. Okay, you just just do that. Live by that principle, and you'll be good. Okay, you'll be you'll be good. Cliff said, "Er, I ain't doing that." He's over there. He's looking at me like, "Huh, I ain't doing that." So, I'm just trying to help you, Cliff. <laughs> no hush. We'll have to have marriage counseling. No, we don't need that. All right. So, uh, as we start this, I want to say this. So, a preacher friend of mine was was telling me about a. a it was probably in the last year. And he was telling me about this message that he had just recently preached. And the, the message dealt with, it dealt with sex. It dealt with sexual sin and those kind of things. And, and he's telling me, he said, you know, I, as I'm preaching, he said, I, I got real with the congregation. He said, you know, I, I got very intense as I'm preaching. And, and let me just say this. Generally, what that means is he got in the flesh. And, and so, uh, good friend. But he got, he got intense. And then he says at some point, he says, and then I realized, you know, at some point as I was preaching this, that there were kids in the room. And, and he said, I, you know, I, I'm afraid I was, you know, inappropriate in what I said with kids in the room. You know, we're, church, we're going we're gonna to deal, and the Bible deals with many difficult-to-discuss issues. Amen? There are a lot of difficult issues. But the Bible is never inappropriate in the way it deals with them. You know, the world around us talks about sex. People all around us talk about sex every day. But those conversations are, often, uh, are oftentimes not appropriate for any age group or for any conversation, uh, for that matter. They're, they're seldom biblical in nature when dealing with this subject. And that's the world around us. And uh, your children, believe it or not, are having conversations in school about sex. And you go, well, my kids are still in elementary school, so they're okay. Let me just tell you, uh, even in elementary school, the, the, the kids, if they're in public school, they are hearing and they're being told things that have to do with sex. And I promise you, it's not from a biblical standpoint. It's not from a biblical view. It's not, it's not going to be right. You can believe that, okay? Now, um, Children that can read, uh, read Scripture and should read Scripture. And, 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 they, and here's the deal. As they read cover to cover in the Scripture, they can read what God has written there and not blush because of crass language or vulgar language or inappropriate language. Okay? 
So I, I have no problem. My kids, I've always wanted my kids to read the scriptures. I've never said, well, you can read this, but you can't read that because it is the word of God. It is what he inspired and has given to us. So again, there are difficult issues. There are difficult issues that we, that we have to deal with in scripture, but we want to deal with it the way God does. And that's, that's in, a, in, a, in an appropriate way. Now, we're not going to avoid um, the topic in church because some things are difficult. I think you all have learned by now that I'm, I'll, I'll address when I come to it, I'm going to deal with it. And uh, I can just tell you some things are not as comfortable to talk about as others in, in this setting. Now, the Bible always deals with sensitive issues with grace and holiness, and I'm going to endeavor as I teach today and as I, as I ever teach on these things to teach in that same way that God would. I'm, I, I pray God bind my mouth from saying anything that would be inappropriate or crass or, or vulgar in any way, okay? So just know that it's my heart going into this, okay? Now, I want to mention what I've, I've just to remind you. So as we go into this study, um, what I've told you, I think for a couple of weeks now, I've said this. Now, God's word never, ever, 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 ever conflicts. Never. So what God says in one area doesn't do, it never does damage to another part of scripture. If it does, we're misinterpreting one or the other. God's word never conflicts, okay? And if that's the case, so whatever God says, it's never going to conflict with what Jesus said because Jesus is God. I find it interesting. People say, well, Jesus never said anything about this or about that. Wait a minute. Who wrote the scriptures? Who inspired the scriptures? God inspired. Is Jesus God? Yes. Okay. So Jesus, everything that is addressed in scripture, Jesus addressed it because he's he's God. Okay. So when we read the scriptures, it's never going to conflict with Jesus. It's never going to conflict with Paul or Peter or any of the authors of the scriptures. It's never going to conflict because the Holy Spirit is the true author of scripture. Those who, who write are inspired by the Lord to write what they write. Okay, now if we, if we don't believe that, then we've got a problem with our view of Scripture. And we're, and we're going to have a problem with going through with our faith. This is the Word of God. Cover to cover, every single word. This is God's inspired Word for us. And it's, and it's inspired, it's inerrant, and it is our authority for how we live life. Amen? Y'all don't sound very convinced. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Do you believe that? Amen. Okay, help me out here. I'm, I'm like, oh man, I got to go back. We're going to change the message this morning. Now, as we begin this, we're talking about marriage. Here, was the, here would be my title this morning. It's green light in marriage. And you'll, you'll understand in a moment, but it's green light in marriage. Now, God established marriage. It was his idea. We have a wedding coming up in just over a week. Tyler, who was baptized, and Shelby are going to be uh, on Tuesday afternoon, uh, a week from now, going to be standing before some witnesses and standing before the Lord and taking their marriage vows. They're going to enter into that. But this is God's idea. I'm going to share this in the message for that service, for, for that ceremony. That marriage is God's idea. It's not the government's idea. It, it, it's not the culture's idea. It's God's idea. And only he had and only he still has the authority to define what marriage is. Not man, not government, not culture, only God. Genesis 2.24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. There's the marriage was defined by God. He said, who can be married? And that defines it. When we get outside of that, redefining what marriage is, that's man's work. That's what man's doing. And and, and, and let me say this, if if you're going to have a marriage other than what God defines, then it's not a marriage. Okay. 
It's still sexual sin if it's not as God has defined. Marriage is God's gift to mankind. The woman completed the man. The man completed the woman. The two became one. They become one in that relationship. The two form a family unit, and then they are commanded to be fruitful and multiply. That's what God's told us to do. Now, marriage also pictures the mystic union between Christ and the church. It's a very intimate relationship that Christ has with the church. There is a oneness. We become, we looked at this last week, we become one with the Lord, okay? And so it's a, it's a very special and intimate relationship. And Ephesians 5.32 tells us, for this is a great mystery. And he says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And he's just there giving all these instructions on marriage. He's telling how the man should love the wife, how the wife should submit and respect her husband. It's the things that God has defined. But ultimately, he says that marriage relationship, it's a picture of Christ and the church. So in the early church, there was a great many irregularities that needed to be corrected in regard to this entire subject of what we're we're talking about. Marriage, we're talking about sex, all these things, there were irregularities. They thought this, they did this. And so there there was a certain slackness now in in regarding marriage uh, permitted in Israel. There were things that were were permitted. There was a slackness under the law in marriage that our Lord Jesus forbade in the dispensation of grace. There were things that that Moses had said were allowed that the Lord comes back and says, that's not the way it's supposed to be. That wasn't the way it was from the beginning, okay? And and not to get ahead of myself, but we'll deal with that issue. We're going to deal with marriage. We're going to deal with divorce. We're going to deal with remarriage. We're going to look at it from what God tells us on these issues. Now, like today, the world's view and attitude of marriage was at odds with God's plan and design for marriage. Amen? So we have that today in our culture. I mean, I'm amazed in America today, it's backwards. It's let's have, let's have kids together, and then maybe we'll live together, and then we might get married if that works okay. Folks, that is not God's plan. God's plan is that we, we stay separated, we stay celibate outside of the bond of marriage between one man and one woman. That is His plan. Okay? And then when we're married, we have children within the marriage. That is his plan. So um, it was necessary with what Paul was experiencing, what the Corinthians were going through, even where he was in Ephesus and, and where we are today, that there was, a, there was a need for some very plain speaking, very plain language on the subject. And so we're going to, like I said, we're going to spend a few weeks talking about marriage. So let's pray and let's start. Father, thank you. For your word, thank you for the clarity that you have given us throughout your word. Thank you that as we hold the scriptures, we don't have to wonder what we should do or how we should live. Lord, you have clearly defined that for us. If we'll just get in and research and search the scriptures and mine out those truths, Lord. So this morning, I pray that you, Lord, guide my thoughts and my speech. And Don't allow me to say anything outside your will. And Lord, maybe there's something that I haven't prepared that you'll bring to mind that you won't share. Lord, I pray that you'll bless in this time. You'll use it for your honor and glory. And uh, Lord, help me to be appropriate in everything that I say. In Christ's name, amen.
Okay. Now, as we look at these six verses, beginning here in verse one, now concerning the things which you wrote to me, there's obviously, there's been a letter written to Paul. We don't have the letter. We don't know what the letter said. We don't know what, what statements they made. We don't know what things they asked. As we saw last week, it appears there were some statements that they were making, some things they were saying that Paul is quoting back to them in those scriptures. And perhaps that is even what he is doing right here. Some translations, if you look at them, will actually put the, the next part of verse one, the second part of verse one, they'll actually put that in quotes as though that is something that the Corinthians are saying. Now concerning the things which you wrote to me, he says here, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now I want you to understand that touch, what that means. That word is indicating a sexual uh, relationship, okay? A sexual relationship with a woman. Now, several, again, several translations put the latter part of that verse in quotes, indicating that this was something that the Corinthians were saying, perhaps something they said in the letter that, that Paul referenced. Paul now, as he, as he turns to, and remember, this isn't, the chapters are broken up for us. The chapters aren't broken up when, when he wrote the letter. I don't, I don't, he didn't, we put the headings in there. We break up the verses. That's been done by us. The letter was written, so he's flowing from the idea of what did we just get out of sexual immorality. He's dealt extensively with the issue of sexual immorality. And then he goes into right here, he's going to begin talking about marriage. And it's interesting how he launches into this. So he turns to answering these questions that they've, they've directed to him in this letter. And uh, as he's writing, remember, we don't, have, we don't know what they're saying. So it's kind of like a one-sided conversation. You've been riding down the road and somebody's with you and they get a phone call and, and they're talking and... You know, you, all you can hear is their side of it. But from that, you can begin to deduce some things. You can kind of, a lot of times you can figure out who they're talking to. You can figure out what the subject is. You don't know what was asked or what was said, but you know what they're saying in response. So we get an idea of what, what the conversation is. And that seems to be the case here as, as we, we hear what Paul has to say and what he taught. So we can make some guesses about what they were saying. Now, some have taken this statement here, this, this, this first verse here, is that, and they've taken this statement that Paul is advocating for celibacy, not marriage. He's, he's just saying, look, you shouldn't get married. You should stay celibate. You, you, should, you, know, you should never, man should never touch a woman, should never have sexual relations with a woman. And the Roman Catholic Church is fond of pointing to this verse as though it taught that the unmarried monk or priest or nun is a holier person just because of their celibacy than the Christian husband, wife, father, or mother. And folks, that's just not true, okay? That's not what Paul was saying right here. That's not. Later in this passage, Paul is going to refer to a time of persecution, which understand they were in a time of persecution. As I was, as I was studying this and some commentators are going, maybe he's alluding to Nero. You know, God had given him special revelation of Nero down 10 years or so down the road, or maybe it was some other thing that was going on locally. Folks, they were in persecution at that time. Um, and, and, and I'll explain that more in a moment, but it, 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 he does speak of serving the Lord without distraction, particularly in a time of, of that, of that kind of persecution that perhaps they're under. And so he may, be, he may take a stance of, listen, in a, in a time of persecution, a time of stress and distress, it may be best for a man not to be, to be married and to, and, to, and, and to stay away from a woman. Um, that, that may be what he's saying, but we're going to look at, as we continue through this, hopefully it's going to clear come to light what he's saying. So, so as he, he talks about this time, they're in a state of persecution at that moment. 
1 Corinthians 7, 26, he says, I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Perhaps he's speaking of being single. Now, he wrote this at a time when becoming a Christian and identifying with the Lord through public baptism, what Tyler did this morning. Tyler is saying, I'm a believer. I have, I have, I have followed Christ. I've trusted Christ. I've been born again. And I want to come down. I am identifying with Christ. Nobody's lined up out the door there to stone Tyler as he leaves this morning. His life's not in danger in this setting from that. But folks, understand that in this time when someone came to faith in Christ and they went and were publicly baptized, they were putting their very life in jeopardy. So this was a time of distress, and Paul may be alluding to that. Many claim that Paul who understand Paul was single. We know he was single at this time. They claim that he had never been married. I don't, I don't think that really lines up with what we know of Paul. My view is that Paul had been married and Paul had, had, had been widowed. And uh, so he never speaks of this definitively. But it, I believe it's very likely that he, that he had been married. And, and it's very likely that, because here's the understanding, it's very likely that Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. And if, he, if so, if he had been a member, if he actually was a member of the Sanhedrin, it would have been a requirement that he be a married man in order to be in the Sanhedrin. Okay, So there's a requirement there for him to be married. Also, for the Jews at that time, there was a saying that they had, and it was that to be 18 and not married was to not be a man. So, I mean, he was a Jew of the Jews. He was of the Pharisees. He was all these things. Paul, everything would point to the fact that Paul was more than likely a married man. It would have been great if Paul just said at some point, you know, my wife that I love so much had, had gone to be with the Lord. And we had known that. We don't know that. And, but that's an assumption. That's something I'm reading. But I believe, I believe that is the case with Paul, that he was a widow, widower. And uh, that he had had a wife. Another reason we think that is because when you look at the way Paul speaks of marriage, he speaks of marriage with great fondness. He speaks of it with great tenderness. It's not the writing of someone who is bitter because a wife had left him or, or a situation like that. Okay, So whether he was or wasn't, Paul is dealing with this. And uh, God often uses... Uh, us in the experiences we've had in life to deal with these truths and convey these truths. And I, and I believe that's what God is doing here. Um, this church in Corinth, we go back to this. We already see this. When I tell you this, you're going to understand that church was a mess. Amen. I mean, we've already seen in the first six chapters, they were a mess. There's, there's infighting. They've got sin in the camp that they're not dealing with. They're ostracizing lost, lost people outside of the church and not having anything to do with them who they need to be witnessing to, and they're embracing the sin that's going on in the church and just allowing it to go on. There's, they're not exercising church discipline. There's a lot of issues that are going on right there. So they have, they, they're a mess, and they have folks on both sides of the errors. It seems like, uh, as we just finished dealing with, with the sexual immorality that was in the church, but it seems like there may be some, some folks that are going the other way, as though the only way to be is celibate. The only way to be is single. Even within a marriage, the, the, the idea may be not to have any sexual relations. Now, you've got two different things that can be working here. So you have hedonism, which basically says have sex with anyone you want. The body is a morally neutral zone. And as long as the adult, the adults are consenting, there, there are no moral implications. Folks, that's where we live in today. 
We're in a culture of hedonism. I'll do what I want, and, and, and we've disconnected the body from the spirit. It doesn't matter what I do in my body. It's disconnected from the spirit. And there, this view ultimately dehumanizes the participants by removing the soul from the picture of sexuality, and it thereby animalizes the human beings. We're just animals. We just do whatever you want to do. The other side of that is asceticism. And it says this, don't have sex with anyone. The body is a morally evil zone. And and so even within the context of marriage, sexuality is viewed as a weakness and potentially a sin. And this view ultimately dehumanizes individuals by rejecting an essential part of their humanity, the body. We are body, soul, spirit. We are, we're a trinity. We're, we're the three in one, okay? So we're, we're in that same, we can understand a little bit of the trinity because I'm a trinity. There's body, soul, and spirit there. And asceticism, it over-spiritualizes human beings and the human body. Uh, some are, 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 you know, some in the church, they're visiting temples. They're visiting the temple prostitutes while others are avoiding sex with even, even within their own marriage. This is the situation and the culture that Paul is having to deal with. Then we come to verse 2. Paul says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, he's just dealt with sexual immorality. He's told them to flee sexual immorality. What is sexual immorality? Any sexual activity outside the bonds, the, the defined bonds of God's design for marriage. Amen? One man, one woman, married That's it. Anything outside of that, and you can list all of the sexual activity it could be, all the different things it could be, it's all sexual immorality. It's sin, it's fornication, homosexuality, uh, all of these different things. Paul clearly teaches here. He says, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, look what he says, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Paul clearly teaches monogamy here because he says every man have his own wife, every woman her own husband, not wives, not husbands. Cultural that time, in that place, there would have been men who would have had multiple wives in the home. And, and, and ultimately, it would not have been for the marriage relationship. It would have been, they would have workhorses. One would have taken care of the kitchen. One would have taken care of the home. One would have done work maybe in, in, the, in the gardens or keeping laundry, whatever. That was not uncommon in that culture. Paul, Paul deals with that. It's, it's interesting in our culture today, a lot of people look at Paul's writings and say, boy, sexist. The scriptures are sexist. Are you kidding me? It is God, through these scriptures, gave equality in the home to men and women. When you read the scriptures, if you come to any other, uh, if you come to a thing where the man can just lord an ogre over his wife, you're misreading scripture. You're misinterpreting it. And, And I believe you'll understand that even as we work through this this morning. Paul recognized the inherent, the inherited tendencies of human nature and human desires. Okay, he understands that. He's recognizing that here. And because of these desires, in order to avoid sexual immorality, each man should have a wife and each woman should have a husband. Marriage is not about sex, but sex is an important part of marriage. Amen? Y'all don't even want to amen. <laughs> y'all, y'all are uncomfortable. Imagine being up here. Okay? All right? All right, so... Yeah, it's okay to amen, all right? And y'all are going, <laughs> husbands and wives are like, um. some are going amen, and some are going, oh me. 
All right, so marriage is not about sex. We don't get married because of sex, but sex is an important part of marriage. It is part of God's plan. It is to be embraced and enjoyed within the context of biblical marriage. Okay? God, yeah, yeah, the world wants to tell you that, well, you know, God's a, a killjoy. God doesn't want you to, to, have, to enjoy anything. So you got to have sex outside of what God has said because then it can be fun and it's free and you can do whatever. No, no, sex within the bounds of marriage is good. God says that. It's a good thing. And Paul is saying here that, that that's what he's talking about. Um, Remember, any sexual activity outside of biblically defined marriage, one man, one woman, is sin. It is sexual immorality. So within the context of marriage, sin, a, a sex is not bad or dirty or wrong or sinful. Amen? Y'all help me now. You can say, oh, me, if you want to, but I, I'm... All right? But outside of biblical marriage, all sex is sin. Understand that. And, and, and today, within the church... Uh, not, I'm not saying within our church, though it is within our church. I, I believe that. There's sexual sin within our church. We have embraced it so in our culture today that we brought it right into the church, and it's okay. I can do whatever I want, and it really doesn't affect me. We live, so many of us live with the same attitude that they had in, this, in, in that time there. Okay? Hebrews 13, 4 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, here's where we get the red light, green light. So I'll illustrate this a little bit. How many of you played red light, green light in elementary school? You know what I'm talking about, okay? Raise your hand high. I want to see. All right, most of you know. So it basically, it was, I don't, I, don't, I don't even exactly know how it was done. I remember playing, but I remember, I remember Marco, was it... Uh, what was the one where we sent somebody's Red Rover, Red Rover? That's what I'm kind of thinking about. But, but it was red light and you could go. I think you were trying to maybe get to someone or reach to someone and get to the other side. And they'd say red light and you, you'd stop. And if you kept moving, then you're out. Um, green light, you go, right? So green light, and I don't have to have an illustration. Y'all know what green light is, right? Green light, green means go. Y'all know what the twinkling of an eye is, right? Have I told y'all this? In the twinkling of an eye, that verse we read earlier, in the twinkling of an eye. Here, here's what a twinkling of an eye is. It's the time from the light turning green till the people behind you honk at you. That's the twinkling of an eye. The other day, because I'm hesitant even to hit the horn anymore because there's road rage. You see a thing where somebody hits a horn and they're out with a gun. So I'm behind this guy and the light's green. It's green. He's going to see it. He's going to see it. So I just, I tap it. He goes, oh, he throws his hand up. And he takes off. I get caught with the red light. <laughs> I shouldn't have said a word. We'd have both been caught. But anyway, we understand red, red light, green light. So here's how this works. When we're talking about sex in marriage, there's a green light. Okay? The green light means step on the gas. Sex in marriage is right and it's good. Outside of marriage, it's red light. And it means slam on the brakes means don't move at all, okay? Red light and green light. Verse 3, 
Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now certainly husbands are to show proper affection to their wife. We know that. Scripture speaks of that. First Peter 3, 7, Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel. We're to honor them. We're to take care of them, look out for them. We're to dwell with them with understanding. Ephesians 5, when we get into Ephesians 5, the definitive passage there and we're looking at the marriage relationship, Paul, he commands husbands three times in there to love their wives. Amen. Men, love your wife. Love, love them as yourself. Love your wife as Christ loved the church and was willing to die. We are to love our wives. And in that same, in Ephesians 5, the wives... It, 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 the three times they're told to submit and, and to, to subject themselves, to be subject unto their, their husbands, to reverence their husband. Now, when I teach about that, I'll, I'll teach that, that, again, isn't saying the man lords over the woman. There, there's, you got to understand what he's saying there. But, but right here when Paul says, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and also the wife to her husband. That word affection means benevolence or goodwill. And here's what it is. It's a euphemism for conjugal duty. Y'all know what that is, right? I'm helping y'all with your kids, okay? So it's conjugal duty. Now they're all going to ask what that means, so I'm sorry. Um, but we're talking, about, we're talking about sex. That's what Paul is saying here. Let the husband render to his wife the, the appropriate sex due her, also the husband to the wife, or the wife to the, the wife to the husband. So Paul is speaking of the sexual relations within the marriage, and the husband is to render to his wife the affection due her. He is to meet her needs, and likewise also the wife to her husband. Each, each must remember the relationship that they entered into. Neither is any longer his or, own, his or her own master. Do you understand that? When, when you, man, when you get married, you're not now king in the house, lord over everything under the, under the roof. You know, that's what we've got this idea. That is not what it is. When we, when we got married, we are submitting ourselves. We agree in that marriage relationship. We agreed to submit ourselves one to the other. Ephesians 5, 21. Before we get into the marriage relationship, before it tells men love their wives and women submit to their husband, verse 21 says, submitting to one another in the fear of of God. We are to submit to one another. There is to be a reciprocal recognition of each other's um, of, of wishes and rights. Some of you ought to be amen in right there. Okay? So the word here, the word signifies not the granting of a conjugal favor, but the fulfillment of an obligation. Okay? There's an obligation. There's an obligation between husband and wife. Each is to be considerate of the other, to put the other first. Isn't that scripturally? We see that. We, we should humble ourselves. We should put others first in the marriage relationship. Men, it ain't about you being satisfied all the time. It ain't about you always getting what you want. Our role as men is to take care of our wives. You know what the wife's responsibility is? To take care of her husband. To meet their need, not to seek our own satisfaction, our own desires. Remember, one of the purposes of marriage is to diffuse desires, which, if not legitimately satisfied, might sadly lead to immorality. Whew. Lord, help me get through this. <laughs> Verse 4. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Well, we can work that out in a lot of ways. Gina could, really what this means, I mean, we could take it this far. Gina could tell me, hey, I know that beard covers a multitude of ugly, but I don't like it. I want you to shave it off. She really has that right in our marriage because I've submitted myself to her. I mean, it's not that we lord over and dictate to each other. There should be communication and all. But, but this says she has authority over my body. I have authority over hers. You listening? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Amen. Finally. Ah. Okay. <laughs> now we can get somewhere. We got the ice broke. All right, here we go. Spouses are to be sure that they pay due attention to one another's conjugal rights. Now, listen, conjugal rights. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul's not saying that marriage is like prison. Okay, it's not what he's saying here. When we hear the word conjugal, we might think of that. He's not saying that marriage is like prison. The marriage vow involves the surrender of rights to each partner. Each shares body rights with another. Here's another thing on that. I don't even have this in my notes. It just came to mind. If if I don't have authority over my body, it ain't my place to go give it to somebody else. Amen? It's hers. She has authority over my body in our relationship. Amen? So you don't have the right, men, to go out and give your body to anybody else. Women, you don't have the right in that marriage relationship to give your body to anybody else because you don't, you don't have authority over it. He does or she does. Uh, one partner may be unreasonably demanding. The other could be unfairly frigid. And either of these attitudes can lead to resentment and friction within the marriage and can even lead to marital unfaithfulness. So the answer, again, is found in Ephesians 5. Love and respect. Husbands, love your wives. Love, love, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husband. Show respect to your husband. Have a reverence to your husband. Um, Verse 5 starts off, do not deprive one another. That word deprive, it means defraud. It means to keep back by fraud. It's cheating your spouse. Do not deprive one another. Now, there, there may be times or seasons or even reasons that a married couple might draw apart from each other. Now, um, they may separate intimately from one another for a limited time. But Paul says they need to be careful even in doing this. He says, do not deprive one another. So do not not take care of your spouse, okay? Do not not do that. Don't, don't not do that, okay? That's what he's saying. Don't deprive them except with consent. And this idea is here by mutual agreement. It's not that, well, I've just decided, you know, I don't, I don't, well, I don't want to, and I'm being spiritual, so you're on your own. It's not what it says. It says, do not deprive one another, except with consent, that's mutual agreement, for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Again, within the marriage and in our marriage relationships, a big part of that is to guard against sexual immorality, people. There's an important part of this. Now, what Paul is talking about here is abstinence in the relationship, not separation. 
If I tell you that in, in, in your relationship that, that Paul is granting the, 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 the right to separate, what do we think in our culture today? He's moving out. Well, we're, we're separating. That's not scriptural, folks. It's not. And we'll, we'll deal with that issue. But that is not what Paul's talking about right here. He's not saying it's okay for you two to separate and go live in different places. Y'all are married. You two are one. And, and so he's not giving you right to, well, I'm going out and getting an apartment or I'm going back and staying with mama. That's not what he's saying right here. He's saying, look, if you two, you're not to deprive each other in, in the marriage relationship here. You're not to deprive each other. Only with consent. You can come apart abstinence for a season, for a time with mutual agreement and, uh, and then come back together. He's not talking about a separation of breaking up, uh, moving out, breaking the marriage. This is, this is speaking of abstaining from sexual relations in the marriage for a limited time. So through the centuries, there have been some religious groups and strange teachers who've taught celibacy even within marriage. That it's, that, you know, they've taught wrongly, okay? They've taught wrongly that in order to serve the Lord better, husbands and wives should live entirely apart from one another except for the purpose of having children. Paul says that to do this is to potentially place yourself or your spouse in a very real position of temptation. And we don't want to do that. It's the whole thing he's talking about. Look, if it, 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 so that there is no sexual immorality, have your own wife. Have your own husband. That's where God has given us that relationship to satisfy the, the desires that we have. Not only is this teaching unwise, and some may say foolish, some may say that's foolish, but it is thoroughly opposed to the divine institution of marriage if a couple feel that coming apart from each other, speaking of sexually now, for a time to more entirely devote themselves to the Lord that they might wait upon Him in fasting and prayer to be more fully conformed to His image and then come together again, then very good. That's, that's good. Paul said, that's what he's saying. But he says, let them, you know, the scriptures here, letting, let them be careful that they do not run off into some strange inconsistency in attempting to do this. So there's some things to remember. It's a mutually agreed upon thing. It's not one or the other deciding this. This is something that will be mutually agreed upon in the marriage that we're going to come apart. We're going to abstain for a season. It's for a season. Whether it's short, it's defined, it's predetermined. We've decided what we're going to do. And it's for the purpose of spiritual growth. Okay, That's the purpose. There's no other reason Paul gives consent here than that. Now when I say Paul gives consent... That Christ is given consent, okay? It, the, the Lord has inspired this writing using Paul. Paul. Paul is the vehicle. God is the one saying this. There's consent here, but they are to come back together. I, I have known of, of, of different situations in marriage, and uh, I, I actually read this week about an older couple who, who they believed that relations within the marriage was only for procreation, and they had children. And there was, there, was, there was celibacy. After they had their children, they were totally celibate within the, the relationship. And, and at this point, they're older in age, and they're grumpy, they're cold, they're frustrated, they're joyless. They're, this choice within their marriage had, had an undesired effect on their overall marriage and their overall dispositions. This is an important issue, very, very important. All right, I marked through this, but I'm going to share it because I do think it's relevant, and I think it's a good illustration of the importance of this. So I had, we had a friend back in Georgia, 
and uh, Ed and Bobby, uh, probably shouldn't give last names, but Ed and Bobby, and they're, they're, they're both with the Lord now, but solid believers, just solid believers. And they had us over their house one night. And you got to know Ed. Ed was like, he, if he wasn't from Texas, he missed a great opportunity because he was like a cowboy. He had the cowboy hat. He had the southern drawl. You know, he, I, and he was a cowboy. They had cattle and all that on their property there in Georgia. So he's like an old Texan or something. And he, would just, he was just one that he'd just tell you how it was. And Ed had done sales for years, traveled a lot. And he was t- sharing with me, he said, listen, man, he said, when I travel, you know, there's, there's been situations where there are people out there who are looking for mischief. There are people who are, are looking for men. He said, I have to stay on my guard. And he said, I do everything I can to, so that I'm not going to be tempted. And he said, even in their relationship, understand this, I'm not trying to be crass or anything in this, because it was great wisdom in what, what he said. But he said, every time I was going out of town on a trip, I made sure that our relations were right. And he even made the quote one time. He, he said, when I get packed up, I got my, all my luggage is packed and everything. He said, I say, Bobby, get in here. Okay? Y'all understand? Because what Bobby, he wanted to make sure that he didn't leave her in a place where she might be tempted or he might be tempted. Okay? He, did, he was doing the right thing. And so I was hesitant to share that. But I think you get the point of that. And you understand the purpose of our relations in our marriage. Um, note this, repression of God-giving appetites can be as harmful as unrestrained indulgence. So, so God has given us desires and appetites. There are God-given appetites, okay? There are God-given, it's, oh, it's dirty that I, no, God made us this way. It's when we take it outside of what God has defined that it becomes dirty and wrong and harmful. Amen? It's this law of liberty The Lord has established the boundaries, and within those boundaries, it's safe. It's wonderful. The the, the world around us and and the media will tell you that, oh, man, one woman, one man for a lifetime, boy, how boring is that? No, sir. No, sir. It's safe, and it's wonderful. Amen? Verse 6. Again, but I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. So Paul's advocating for this abstinence. Uh, I mean, he's not advocating for this abstinence. He's not saying you have to do this. He's not making it a command. He's simply giving this as an option for a break from regular marriage relations, and it's a temporary break from from the biblical marriage norm. So so don't think that Paul is speaking here... that he's not speaking for the Lord. I think I already shared this. He, he is speaking for the Lord. The Lord is speaking through Paul. And he is inspired here in giving permission. And, uh, and, and, and just as inspired in giving permission here as he is in giving commands that he's going to give in just a, a little bit as we continue on. And so he means, what he's saying is that the Spirit of God allowed him to give this permission and uh, not as a command. So in a marriage relationship, there's permission to do this. But he's not saying every marriage has to do this. You don't have to do this. In fact, there are marriages that might not be able to handle doing that within the marriage. Okay? So it's not a command, but it's by permission that we can do that. And it's, we're talking about the permission to abstain with the idea that we come back together. Amen? Praise the Lord. Got through this. All right, I want to share this. Pastor Aaron, you guys can come forward. Um, in conclusion, I, I, I'd kind of say this. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. 
Y'all ever heard that? Yeah, you know, we, we understand what that means. Uh, prevention on the front side. I think, about, I think about Daniel where he purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. He was going to do the right things, okay? We ought to be there. We got a purpose in our heart. Young people, now is the time. Purpose in your heart that you're going to live right by what God says. You're going to live by his commands. You're going to, you're going to do these things in your relation. You're going, I don't have a girlfriend. Or you will one day. You're going to have a girlfriend. You're going to have a boyfriend. You need to determine today that you're going to do it right as God prescribes it. And that's not just for the teenagers. That's for us as adults. There are single adults in here. There are those that have been widowed. There are those who have been divorced. There have been those in here who are married. There are those who, I think I already said widowed. But we're, we're in all different places in those relationships. And, and Paul's going to deal with a lot of that. We're going to understand each one of us have come at this from a different place. But what we've got to do is we've got to do the right thing. And he's going to define for that. He's defining the Holy Spirit of God is defining for us the right way to handle that. Young people, if, you, if, you, if you've got a problem, in order to avoid, to stay away from, from sexual immorality, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each wife have her own husband. Man, if you're struggling in that area, you need to go find a wife. <laughs> Young lady, if you're struggling in that area, go get a husband. God has defined the way to do that. And, the, and it's not to go out to the bar and hook up with somebody. Amen? Amen. It's to do the right thing. So for the pre prevention of sexual immorality, each one is to have his own wife or, or her own husband. Submit to one another in love. Look out for the needs of the other above your own. Do not deprive your spouse their due affection, but for a time with mutual agreement, for, for a present, uh, you know, a preset time, for spiritual growth, and then come back together. You know, God commands us, and we've already seen this, flee sexual immorality. If, if, it's so many things that we have embraced in our culture that we've explained it away we get away from Scripture. We don't want to deal with what Scripture says. Scripture says flee sexual immorality. Flee lust. The prince was there to flee temptation. We see Joseph. The way he dealt with Potiphar's wife, he fled from the temptation. If, if you're in a situation of temptation, flee from it. But he's given us some ways to deal with that so that there's, we don't run into sexual immorality. Amen? Amen? All right. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, Lord, just uh, being with us this morning. I pray this is helpful. I know it's helpful. Some in here maybe gain something that they can counsel with someone else. They can point them back to what you have said here uh, in the scriptures about this issue. There may be couples who are dealing with some issues in here. Maybe there's some in here that need to sit down with someone and just talk through some things, need a little, little help. Lord, your word gives us great guidance and direction for how we should live our lives. Even, even to the details of our relations within our marriage relationship. So thank you for the truths you've given. And Lord, wherever we're at, if there's something that we are amiss to what your word teaches, I pray the Holy Spirit of God will teach us that, will convict us of that, and we would repent, Lord, of, of the wrong that we're doing and we'll make that right with you. Your desire is that we be in right relationship with you. So, Lord, as your Holy Spirit convicts us of areas where maybe 
I need to fix that. I need to change that. We need to adjust that. Whatever that may be. Father, I pray for the, the, the conviction from the Holy Spirit. I pray for a humbleness for us as we, as we approach these things and an obedience to what you would tell us to do. So, Father, as we have a time of invitation here in just a moment, and we'll, we'll sing these songs back to you, Lord. Um, Father, if you're dealing with our hearts, and, and there may be understanding this, and I, I want our folks to understand this, Lord, right now, that uh, just because someone steps out to pray right now doesn't mean they're in sexual immorality. So, Lord, if there's someone here who needs to come to the altar and pray, they need someone to pray with them. There's someone this morning who, who says, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. I pray they'll step out. And may none of us be concerned with what the person next to us is thinking about us stepping out. But may we only be concerned with what you are doing in our hearts and our lives. So, Lord, even in this invitation, would you bless and move and do the work in our lives that needs to be done. Father, bless and move now in Jesus' name.